Hey, I'm so glad that uh, that you can be joining us. You might want to grab a Bible, grab pen, paper, and uh, we're going to be several different places today. Go to John 8. That's kind of the big passage we're going to look at today. Uh, as you're doing that, we're going to finish our conversation. And uh, I would say this, Pastor Aiden, if you tuned in last week, did a, did a fabulous job kind of leading us in a conversation last week and uh, loved listening to Challenged by it. Uh, I would say this, and I don't want you to tell him I said this, but I'm a little concerned about Aiden, Pastor Aiden. Uh, some of you don't know this, but I think he's like about 30 years old, and uh, we're worried that maybe that midlife crisis might be coming a little soon. Uh, he uh, went out and bought himself a moped. He drives that thing around like a Harley Davidson, right? He's got his helmet and everything. Sits in meetings with his pocket knife like Rambo. You know, now he's shooting clay pigeons with shotgun. Next thing you know, he's going to have a squirrel tattoo on his arm, right? We're a little worried about him, but Ashley did a fabulous job last week. And if you didn't get a chance to tune in and listen, I encourage you to do that. He covered a very important topic. We're talking about this cultural stew we live in, or as he likes to say, soup, right? And uh, it, we're just saying this, it, it, it forms the basic cultural narrative through which we make sense of life, how we justify our existence. It's uh, that stew or that lens or whatever you want to call it, that milieu, <laughs> that, that helps you make sense of your life, answer the big questions of life, answer the why of life, the meaning and the purpose of life, answer the questions about God and man and the Bible and what about life after and how do somebody get to heaven? And all of those things start early in life. That soup begins to form early. And there's a lot of people that throw ingredients in there, right? Uh, the family you're brought up in, the friends, the education you have, the experiences that you had. And some of those things are inconsequential, but some of them very, very consequential. And so I want to take the conversation. We're going to end today. And my hope is it's the beginning of many conversations you have as you wrestle with this. But I want to take it another step today, and here's all I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to listen carefully to what I have to say. Uh, I'm going to ask you to listen to the whole way to the end and kind of put your thinking caps on because I think what I want to talk about today is something very important for us to wrestle with and to look at. Uh, when I was thinking about kind of where I want to go today, I was thinking about something my, my youngest son and I, we enjoy doing, and uh, Aaron is his name. We enjoy on Friday nights going to high school playoff games, football playoff games. We enjoy doing it. We enjoy doing it no matter what the weather is. We go out in the cold and we like to go grab a bite to eat. We like to get there early. We like to watch the team warm up. We like to kind of people watch, all that kind of stuff. And then the moment comes, right? The moment comes when the PA announcer says, everybody stand, gentlemen, take off your hats. And you know what comes next, right? We sing the national anthem. And as we sing the national anthem, uh, it's kind of the kickoff, right, the, to the game. That's how you know it's beginning. But there's a line in there that says this. It kind of gives you the hint that we're at the end of the song. It says, oh, say, does that star-spangled banner yet wave? Right? You know the line. Over the land of the, what's the next? Free. And the home of the brave. I was thinking about that when I think about the cultural stew we live in. We live in the land of the free, the home of the Liberty Bell. We're the nation of the Declaration of Independence with the Bill of Rights that protects our freedom of speech and our freedom to gather, the freedom of the press, the, the, the freedom to carry a gun. We love our freedom. As Americans, we love our freedom. <laughs> it's part of our cultural stew that we've grown up in. For Americans, I would say this. It's, it's our most important, if not most, one of our most important values. Uh, author Tim Keller says this, that freedom is the baseline for our Western cultural narrative. I think that's right. 
Right? Like we value, we embrace, we're grateful for our freedom. You're grateful for your freedom. I'm sure you are, right? Uh, it's part of the fabric and the foundation of our very story, of our nation. The very founding of our country was a pursuit of freedom uh, and, and the protection of that freedom over time. I'm thankful for our freedom. You are too, I'm sure of that, right? Thankful for it. But here's what I want us to consider. It is important for us to acknowledge <laughs> that there's been a slow and subtle drift that that obsession of freedom and that history of freedom has taken over years. And our obsession with freedom, which is a good thing, we have enough freedom to, to be able to worship, has turned into an evolution of freedom. If you're taking notes, I'd write this down. This, this evolution of freedom is interesting to me. Uh, because when you look at it, and I, let me just geek out on you for a minute, right? Because this stuff's interesting to me. But I think it'll help make sense of where I'm going. That when our founding fathers kind of wrote some of those documents that many of us enjoy and look back on, uh, there were certain cultural things at play that over time uh, we have shifted as a culture. We've shifted from a culture of authority to a culture of autonomy. Now, here's what I mean, that, that early what happened is we used to live in what uh, would be called a culture of authority where we would do what we would do because authority would tell us to do it. Now, whether that authority is God, our parents, church, whatever it might be. Uh, over time, we've shifted to this culture of autonomy where we move to living by what our authentic self desires and wants to do. I've got to be true to me, right? And, and part of that shift is because of a philosophy of thought, and there's probably several guys, but two in particular that come to mind. One is, is Augustine, uh, 4th century A.D., and he would have said this, that early on in our cultural understanding that man is made in the image of God and our basic problem is that we have a disordered love. It's not just that we love the wrong things, but sometimes we can love the right things in the wrong order. So he said, right? But over time, in the 1800s, early 1900s, all of a sudden Freud shows up on the scene, right? Some of you heard that name. And all of a sudden we went from made in the image of God presupposition to this Darwinian thought, this evolutionary thought, survival of the fittest. And what he said is this. Now, stay with me on this. Libido is the most important desire, right? It's, it's this desire to have pleasure, it's desire for pleasure. And any repression of that desire is the source of neurosis in our life. Uh, here's how that showed up. Uh, the culture under this over time was all about this idea of self-mastery. Uh, it was essential. Many of those in, in, at that time would have thought self-mastery was essential to stewarding our freedom. Self-control, that's the ability to say no to the wrong things. Self-discipline, the ability to say right to the, yes to the right things. But over time, as this has evolved in this culture of self-autonomy and this Freudian thought, it's become not self-mastery, but self-gratification. And self-expression is the key. And Freedom is not necessarily something to be stewarded, but a moral right to express myself, be myself, do what I want to do. And over time, there's been this evolution. And today, freedom has become perhaps, I don't know, perhaps the only publicly shared acknowledged moral value, that we see it as a moral value. Uh, one study summarizes it this way. See if you can't relate to this. Most of us in America believe in a few simple propositions that seem so clear and self-evident they scarcely need to be said. 
He says this, Choice is a good thing in life is one of them, and the more of it we have, the happier we are. Second, our authority is inherently suspect. Nobody should have the right to tell others what to think or how to behave. You see how the shift takes place? Uh, Charles Taylor, a Canadian philosopher, says this. He gives his expression of our secular moral order. He says, let each person do their own thing. And one shouldn't criticize the other's values. Sound familiar, right? It's our culture. It's the super in. Because they have the right, he says, to live their own life as you do. The only sin which is not tolerated is intolerance. It's interesting. Here's the point. This historical freedom that we enjoy, we love, we're thankful for has evolved to a modern understanding and expression of that said freedom. Freedom from tyrants has evolved into this individual autonomy that will not accept restraints or any constraints. It's interesting. Freedom of self-assertion, self-expression, self-gratification. Let me put it this way. Our country's declaration of independence has evolved into a country of individuals who declare their independence. And this shows up in cliches that express our individual commitment to freedom. See if you've ever heard some of these phrases. Uh, You can write these down. Uh, Some of these phrases, these individual declarations of independence, you do you. (laughs) You ever heard somebody say that? A lot of young people are going to say, yeah, I've heard it. You you do you. Or, Or follow your heart. Just follow your heart. Do what makes you, oh, you have heard that one happy. How about this? You ever hear this at a commencement speech? Uh, To thine own self be... You ever heard it? Finish it. True. Uh, Do you know where that originates from? That's a Shakespearean quote. Comes from Hamlet. Like, look it up, right? Uh, What's interesting is in the in the story, the fool is the one who says it. (laughs) We don't we don't say that when we're quoting it, right? Uh, how about this one? The heart, some of you, that, that there's even a song called this, The Heart Wants What the Heart, what? Wants. <laughs> some of you younger people got that one, right? The Heart Wants What the Heart Wants. Uh, you ever, do you know where, where that kind of originates? Well, it actually originates from a poem that a lady named Emily Dickinson wrote, but it became popular from a guy whose name was Woody Allen. Did you know that? Yeah. And Woody Allen said that when he had an affair on his wife, with their adopted daughter. Now it sounds like an interesting phrase, right? It's just interesting. Our our national anthem, this thing that we love and we sing and we take off our hat and all that, has evolved into these individual anthems that are seen in art and media and even even in some of the songs we sing. And I'm going to ruin some of y'all's day, so take your kids out of the room for a second, okay? But, but, but they show up. They make their way into to songs, and we sing them, and, and our kids sing them. They make them. Like, for instance, the, the well-known Disney classic, right, Frozen, and the song Let It Go. This is the line. It's time to see what I can do. You can see her dancing around, right, in the snow. To test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm what? Free. I'm free. And to many in our culture, this is the baseline narrative, right? And, and here's, here's where it gets interesting. The tension takes place. Because Christianity, the Bible, God, the story of God, can feel like an enemy to that value. 
Uh, a virtual freedom straitjacket is what it can feel like. Uh, to our liberty and to being able to express ourselves and to follow our heart. So Christianity can feel like it's in tension with it. And the question is, is it? And so as we answer that for a few minutes here today, I think what we got to do is this. we got to at least, this is where I need you to do some hard work. I want you to be thinking people. So if you're somebody who's rejected Christianity, like I'm so glad you're tuning in. Can I just take you through the dilemma of freedom? And if you're somebody who is a follower of Christ, I think these things are important for us to think through because freedom, I want you to write this down, freedom has a dilemma. There is a dilemma of freedom. If the modern understanding of freedom is I'm free to do whatever I want to do, it creates a few conundrums. <laughs> it creates a few dilemmas. Let, let me just take you through a couple. It's not going to be exhaustive. First is this. If you're taking notes, write this down. Uh, it it's the dilemma of my conflicting freedoms. Have you ever thought about this or not? If freedom is to do whatever I want to do, whatever I desire to do, as the modern definition has evolved into, creates a dilemma, right? It creates a dilemma when, I'm in, when what I want to do is in conflict with something else I want to do. What do I do? Well, I'm free. Uh, I read in a book uh, recently um, this illustration. It makes sense to me. Let me just personalize the illustration for you. I'm a grandpa, and so I, I want to be free to enjoy playing with my grandkids and running around in the yard with my grandkids and just, just being active with my grandkids. But I also enjoy eating. And I'm free. And I want to do what I want to do. So I want to eat whatever I want, whenever I want, and however much I want, right? What's interesting, play this out for a second, that, that I want to exercise both those freedoms. Well, if I just eat everything I want, whenever I want, Eventually, I'm going to go to the doctor, and he's going to say, unless I restrict the freedom to eat whatever I want when I want, if I don't restrict that freedom, I'm going to lose this freedom to be able to run around the backyard with my grandkids. You see what I'm saying? Like, like, like the bottom line is this, that's all over the place, that we have freedoms. Like, I want the freedom to whatever you fill in the blank. It always involves restricting other freedoms. Uh, Tim Keller says this in his book, Making Sense of God. He says, the question is not, how can man live in complete freedom? The proper question is, which freedom is more important, more liberating? It's interesting. I need to choose which freedom I'm willing to sacrifice for the sake of the other. But, but it's not just when my freedoms conflict, right? That can happen inside of me. Now, let's go here. What about when our freedoms conflict? What happens, what do I do when, uh, when the freedom of what I want to enjoy conflicts with the freedom of what you want to enjoy? Uh, what happens when they conflict with each other? What happens when my freedom infringes on your freedom? What happens, uh, who gets to decide? What happens when my freedom to do something, you ready, harms you? Or your freedom to do something harms me? Who decide which harm matters? Who decide which freedom is more important? If freedom is doing whatever I want, that I just belong to myself, here's what it does. There's a dilemma. It neglects to recognize that we have some responsibility to each other and that we even belong to each other. In, in his book, and, and man, I, if you've never read Making Sense of God, Tim Kelly, because I, I really leaned into it this, this week. Uh, he, he uses this illustration. There's a movie that is entitled Calvary. And in, if you've ever seen it, you might know what I'm talking about. If you're not, I'm not necessarily endorsing it, suggesting it. 
I'm just saying this, that in this movie, the priest's daughter, she attempted suicide. And she justified it to her dad by claiming autonomy, freedom. She said, I belong to myself and not to anybody else. Her dad responded to her this way. He said, true. False. It's interesting. He, he wasn't contradicting himself. He, he, he was saying, true. False. And Keller goes on to say, it's, it's a tired old argument, I suppose. As in the movie, the, the, the dad says, but what I want you to think about is those you leave behind. He goes on to say to commit suicide, the priest rightly says, is to strike a blow and inflict a pain on many that will never be healed. And the question is this, what right do you have to darken their lives permanently? You see how it works? It's like a dilemma. Let's just, let's just sit in it a minute. <laughs> How about this? How about the dilemma of our design? Write that down. What if it wasn't just a matter of I got to choose which freedoms, but what if it was a matter of me submitting to the natural constraints and restraints that exist in order for me to enjoy freedom? Only by submitting to the limits that are part of my design can I enjoy freedom. Th think about this is a stupid example, but think about just think about this. Going to come in handy later. Think about a fish. Suppose a, a fish says, I have the freedom to, to do what I want, how I want, where I want, when I want. And suppose that fish decided to hop out of the river, the sea, the ocean, and started walking down your street. I know, stupid example. And that fish is saying, I have the freedom to, to, to take a long walk on the land. That's what I want to do. Like, like, it's such a stupid example because you're saying, you're taking a long walk of what? Death. Because the only place that fish is ever going to experience true freedom is in the environment where it was designed to thrive. You tracking with me? It's a dilemma. I want to, I can be whatever I want to be, right? Not necessarily. Like I can look at you and say, I don't care what anybody says, I'm going to go be an NBA basketball player at age 55. At five foot ten, can jump that high, can't shoot to save my life. <laughs> like you're, you're like, I don't know, Dan. You know, I'm free. I got some natural constraints, right? And those natural constraints, if I don't recognize them, submit to them, are gonna somehow rob me of freedom. I go on top of the building, say I'm gonna jump off. I'm free to jump off this building. Not as free as I might have thought, right? It's going to end up with a consequence. How about this? How about this? I want you to write this in. How about the dilemma of a freedom that leads to slavery? Uh, modern culture would tell us that we can pursue whatever we want, right? And, and I can do what I want. I, here's the thing, though. Something at the end of the day masters us. And whatever that is, it's the thing that we look to to give us satisfaction and meaning and purpose. And I would suggest that whatever that is is what we end up worshiping. Uh, a novelist, not necessarily a Christian guy, said this. His name is David Wallace Foster. He's Foster Wallace. Sorry, I got him backwards. He says this. You get to choose what you worship because here's something else that's weird but true. In the day-to-day -day trenches of adult life, there's actually no such thing as atheism. This isn't a pastor or theologian saying this, right? 
He says, no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship eats you alive, will enslave you. Think about this. If you look to money for your satisfaction, purpose, and meaning, and you worship money and things, if they are what you tap into for real meaning in life, you'll never have enough. You'll never feel like you have enough. You'll be enslaved to it. It's the truth. You worship your body and beauty and sexual allure, and you'll always feel ugly. When the time and age starts sh showing, you'll die a million deaths before they finally bury you. Worship power, you'll end up feeling weak and afraid. And you'll need more and more power over others to numb you of your fear. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, you'll end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. It's interesting. The fact of the matter is the things that we're free to pursue, many times they, we, we end up worshiping them because they have, they're what we're looking to for satisfaction and meaning and purpose, and they end up enslaving us. Or how about this? How about this? Okay. How about the dilemma of experiencing true love? I belong to myself. I'm free, right? I'm, I'm free. I can do whatever I want, whenever I want. Love by its very nature, you know this, right? Love, the thing that many of us long for to be in a relationship where we're known and loved and accepted, love by its very nature is sacrificing individual freedom for the sake of relationship. If you're married, you know this. If you're married, you know this. I'm married to Jennifer. Uh, I, I don't go to her and say, I belong to myself, I'm gonna do what I want. I, I, I don't take a trip for a week, come back and not tell her where I was at and say, yeah, I, I belong to myself, I don't feel like, right? I'm giving up my rights for the sake of relationship to experience true love. Uh, if you're a parent, you know this. You got a screaming, crying baby. Mom, you know this, you got a screaming, crying baby. I'm free. I belong to myself. My body's my own. <laughs> right? You love a kid and your parenting is constantly sacrificing. Constantly sacrificing for the sake of true love and the sake of the relationship. You see, the only thing I want to say is this, is that this idea of freedom has been an evolution and it, there's a dilemma that our modern understanding expression of freedom we have to wrestle with. Which leads us here. Well, how does that all play in the story of God? <laughs> how does the story of God kind of interact with this idea of freedom? That's a great question. Because the story of God, I would say it this way, is God's invitation to true freedom. Now, some of you may not even believe in God. Maybe you don't even believe the story of God. I'm glad you're listening. Because I just want to tell you the story of God. Because... The story of God, this idea of freedom, is a thread that is throughout the story of God. It's interesting. Uh, last week, Aiden showed you a, a diagram that we like to use right here. It just kind of helps us get the 30,000-foot view of the story of God. And so this is the arc of God's story, began at creation. Uh, God didn't begin at creation, but the story of God found in Scripture, he created in the beginning. And in the very beginning, when God created, there's something interesting because he created, he's the master designer or the master creator. And the story of God says that he designed us, 
He created us, now listen, you don't hear this often, to enjoy, to freely enjoy the environment he designed us for. Uh, look at this passage in Genesis 2. Look at this. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. We were created to work. And the Lord God commanded the man. Look at this. Freedom. You are free. You don't hear this much when you hear the creation story, right? You're free to eat from any tree in the garden. Enjoy. Thrive. Here's the part we always hear, right? But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you'll certainly die. We miss the part where he says you're free to enjoy, to eat, to thrive in all that I've designed you for. And if you know the story, Satan's deception was to get them what? To focus not on what they were free to eat, what they were designed to thrive in, but to focus on what they were not free to eat. To convince them, you ready? That it was unthinkable for God to limit their freedom in this way. Does, listen, does that sound familiar? Their individual freedom was being constrained and controlled and the temptation was to break out, break free, no rules for me, I'm free. You see, it's, it's not necessarily a modern problem from the very beginning of the story of God. So, so if you know the story, what did they do? They ate from the tree that he instructed them not to eat from. And when they ate from that tree, in essence, listen, told you this illustration would come back. In essence, the fish jumped out of the sea and started walking the walk of death. Isn't that interesting? It's interesting to me. Man jumped out of the environment he was designed to thrive in. They had jumped out of the sea of God's design for their enjoyment, for them to thrive. And you know the story. They then, from that moment on, from the curse on, they're no longer free. But all of a sudden, they're hostage and they're hiding in fear and shame. They used to walk with God in the cool of the day. Now they're a hostage and hiding. They're fearful. They're locked up in this bitter blame game. She made me. The serpent made me. Right? Right? And they forfeit the blessing of freedom to enjoy all that God designed for them to enjoy. Isn't that interesting, guys? Because Satan convinced them it was unthinkable that God would somehow limit their freedom to do what they wanted. What's the implication? The implication is this. If you're taking notes, I'd write this now. True freedom begins by acknowledging I'm designed by God to love, serve, and follow him. Now, now listen, some of you aren't even, a, you're like, I'm not a Christian or a father. Listen, I, I got you. I just want you to consider what I'm saying. The true freedom begins by acknowledging that if there is a God, if there's a God and there's a story of God, then he's the designer, and we are designed by that God to live for, serve, and follow him. And to live for anything else violates this freedom and ends up leading us to slavery. And that's what we see right from the beginning of the story of God. And, and, and it's that truth that explains the rest of the story. It explains the rest of the Old Testament and it explains the rest, it explains me, quite frankly. Because when we go back to the arc of God's story, he was designed, you're free to enjoy 
I can't believe that you would limit my freedom. And all of a sudden, the curse. The truth is because of Adam's choice, we all live as fish, so to speak, that are out of the sea, walking the walk of death. That moment on, that's the point. We talked about that a few weeks ago. We all are walking this walk of death. Our own sinfulness enslaves us. That sounds insulting, doesn't it? Just let it for a minute, doesn't it? We are slaves to our own sinfulness. It sounds un-American. We're the land of the free. I'm free. And yet our own sin enslaves us and it sounds offensive to us and it did to some people Jesus was talking to. Jesus in John 8, you have your Bibles open there? Can I show you this? Long passage. Let's just look at it together. Let's take the time to do this. To the Jews who had believed him, he says, if you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. Then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you, say it out loud, what? Free. He's talking about what? Freedom. They're offended. They answered him, we're Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. <laughs> really? You know Jewish history? And yet they're like, no, we've kept our cultural identification. Like We're, we're free. How can you say that we'll be set free? Jesus says this very truly. I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave of sin. He says you can be free. You can be an American in a free country where the Declaration of Independence, the Liberty Bell, the home of the free, and be a slave is what he's saying. Because everyone who sins, who's that? Is a slave to that sin. No slave has a permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So look what he says. So if the what? If the son sets you free, you're really free. You shall be free indeed. If the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. And, and here's the antithesis. You got to do the antithesis. You got to think hard about it. If the son does not set you free, you'll be a slave indeed. No matter your nationality, no matter what country you're in, no matter if the Son, if Jesus does not set you free, you'll be a slave indeed. You see, the Son sets you free. He sets you free for something. He sets you free from something. He sets you free to something. You say, Dan, what are you talking about? He sets me free from the very thing that enslaves me, my sin. That Jesus is the only one who can set me free from the guilt, the consequences of my sin, the power of sin in my life, the identity of sin that wraps itself around me. Jesus is the only one that can do that. But he sets me free to something. That when the Son sets us free, when Jesus sets us free, he sets us free to be a part of the family of God with all of the blessing and the benefit of that. Well, how does Jesus set us free? Well, John 8, let's keep going. Verse 37, he says, I know that you're Abraham's descendants, yet you're looking for a way to what? Kill me. The crucifixion, the cross is never far from Jesus' mind. He knew that's why he came. Because you have no room for my word. I'm telling you what I've seen in the Father's presence. You're doing what you've heard from your father. Well, they're confused. They're like, well, Abraham's our father. And he says, no, if, if you were Abraham's children, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you're looking for a way to kill me. 
a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham didn't do such things. You're doing the works of your own father. And then they're like, we're not illegitimate children. The only father we have is God himself. Like they, they appeal right to God. And Jesus said, if God were your father, you would love me. For I've come here from God and I've not come on my own. God sent me. Why is this not clear to you? He's like, because you're unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father. And look at this, look at this, look at this. The devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. Do you see the, the connection to the story of God? The same one that Adam and Eve listened to. The same one. This thread is throughout. He's the one who's enslaving you. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. There is no truth in him. For when he lies, he speaks his native language. He is a liar and the father of lies. He lied at the very beginning. He's lying to you now. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you don't hear is that you do not belong to God. What is Jesus telling them? He's telling them they're listening to the same person, the same one that Adam and Eve listened to, and he's the one who's robbing their freedom. And he says, if you listen to me, I am the only one who can give you freedom. What's the implication? I want you to write it down this way in your notes. That true freedom is experienced when I surrender to the one who gave up his freedom to buy mine. That's freedom. The only way that you can experience freedom from the very thing that enslaves you is to surrender. That sounds like an oxymoron, doesn't it? To the one who gave up his freedom to buy yours. Uh, Tim Keller in his book says this, and I, I, I'm going to quote it because I can't say it better. Christianity is the only religion that claims that God gave up his freedom so we could experience the ultimate freedom from evil and death itself. The only way for you to be free from the very thing that enslaves you, wherever you're living, uh, you, you live in this free country, the only thing that's going to give you freedom is for you to surrender to the one who gave up his freedom to buy yours. When Jesus died, he died for all the things that enslaved me. He died for the sin that has power over me, the sin that brings guilt upon me. He paid the price. The only one who didn't sin died for all of us who did sin. And he said, those who come to the Son and surrender to the Son will be free indeed. And you, you ready? You, the story of God would say this, you are not free until you surrender to Jesus. You are not free, truly free, until you surrender to the one who surrendered his life for you. Now, that's interesting, right? Now, Dan, that's a big statement, yeah. That's Jesus, not me, just delivering it. The story of God's all about that. It's what the book of Galatians is all about. The freedom that we can have in Jesus, in him alone. And so how do I know that I have that freedom? What's the evidence of that? It's not what you think. It's not, what our, it's not even what our culture thinks. I think it's something that is almost counterintuitive. Here's what he says in Galatians 5. You, my brothers and sisters, are called to be, there's our word, what? Free. <laughs> but don't use your, there's our word, freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, what? 
serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you, you ready? Ready? If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. Now, now stay with me. Let's leave this up there a second. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. Does, not, does that not sound like our culture right now in this free country that we live in, in this free expression, this biting and devouring? So what's the story of God say? What's the implication? Here's the implication. True freedom that comes from Jesus, the invitation of true freedom that God extends is evidenced when I am free to give up my rights to serve others' needs. That's what he's saying. If you want to know if somebody is truly free, here's how you tell. They're willing to lay down their rights to serve other people's needs. That's what it means for us to follow the one who sets us free because that's exactly what he did. He set down his rights to serve my need. What's interesting is this, the, the book of Galatians goes on and it says this. So here's what I tell you then. Walk by the Spirit. Don't gratify the desires of my own flesh. For the flesh desires, you be you. My flesh desires was contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit was contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other. There's our dilemma. So that you are not to do whatever you want. You see, that's how we would say freedom is. You see, the, you see how this works? But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. The acts of the flesh, obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this not inherit the kingdom of God. That's not kingdom mentality. But the fruit of the Spirit, when I surrender to the Son, the fruit of the Spirit, the evidence is love. It's joy. It's peace. It's patience. It's kindness. It's goodness. It's faithfulness. It's gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. That's freedom. Since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. Let's not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Let's go back as we close to the story of God. He says, you're free to enjoy everything in this garden. Free to thrive in the environment. This one tree. The lie of Satan was this. It's unthinkable for him to somehow restrict your freedom. And mankind that moment decided to go from listening to God to a self-autonomy. I'm gonna do what I'm free to do. In that moment, instead of being free, they were enslaved. The fish started walking out of the sea, the walk of death. That moment impacted every person who's ever lived, which takes us to the cross if the Son sets you free, that's the only way you'll be free. The one who came and gave up his freedom 
to pay for the very thing that enslaves us so that we could have what we could never earn, freedom from sin and freedom to be part of the family of God. The minute we say yes to Jesus, we're free. We're part of this thing called the church. But that freedom isn't to demand our way and to fight and bite and devour with each other. But that freedom is to literally surrender ourselves like the one who gave his life for us for the sake of others. To give up our rights to serve other people's needs. Because that theme of freedom runs its way clear to the end of God's story. Then here's what you find in the last book of the Bible. Revelation 1. Grace and peace to you from him who is, who was, and who is to come. From the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness. He's the firstborn from the dead. The ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us. Look at this. And has what? Freed us from our sins by his blood. And then he's made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Here's the deal. This whole series that we have done was simply our attempt to say, what if we just begin thinking about the cultural stew that we live in, the cliches that we embrace almost as gospel truth, and begin to compare them to the story of God. They might show us things that are surprising, that maybe the story of God is more profound, more beautiful than we ever dreamed it to be. And when we begin to embrace that story of God, we find our way into a freedom that we never, never dreamed, a freedom that can only come through Jesus. Are you free? Are you truly free indeed? God, my prayer for my friends listening is this, is that, is that God, you would, for those who might be listening who've never trusted Christ, that this might be the moment of freedom for them, that they would say yes to Jesus, the one who surrendered his life for them. God, I pray that they would experience freedom indeed. God, there's a whole bunch of people listening to this that are going to say they're followers of Christ, and I pray that you would help us individually and collectively to look at our lives and, and, and allow you to test us, to see if the evidence of our life is something that points to experiencing true freedom. God, I pray that you would use us in the freedom that we have in Christ to serve others, to demonstrate the gospel to others and to take the message of the kingdom into a world that is in desperate, desperate need to hear. I love you, Lord. So, so thankful that you love me. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.